This recording begins with a reading of the Gospel of the Day. That will be followed by the homily from Father Paul O'Brien. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them. From the cloud came a voice, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone, except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. The Gospel of the Lord. This is the second Sunday of Lent, beginning the second week of Lent. I know that many, many people in this community are actively living Lent day by day. Lent is a period, if you live the whole thing from Ash Wednesday, of six plus weeks in which we prepare for two things, two big things. The first is for the most sacred days of the year, the Easter Triduum, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, opening into Easter. I am trying to be spiritually focused for those holiest days of the year and the graces I believe God will offer us through those days. We're also preparing at the culmination of those days for baptism or the renewal of baptism. A large number of people, including a, number, a good number of you in this community, are preparing at the Easter Vigil to receive the salvation that Jesus brings to this world through his death and resurrection fully into the depths of their souls for the first time through baptism and the other sacraments of, of initiation. For the rest of us who have already been baptized, we're doing a connected reality, preparing for the renewal of that grace through the grace of the Easter season. So that's what I'm doing these weeks, and I hope you are as well. One day at a time, I'm following the agenda we heard on Ash Wednesday, repent and believe in the gospel. One day at a time during these weeks, I am being much more serious about the reality of my sinfulness. I'm being more honest about it. I'm trying to turn away from it, and I'm trying to be forgiven through the sacrament of penance, ultimately. One day at a time, I am being more focused, I am more focused on the gospel of Jesus every single day, paying more attention to it, trying to put it into practice. Lent is what we're supposed to be doing 365 days a year, but this is an opportunity to do it more intently. If you're a teenager or an adult, you've got a full prayer guide in the, in the bulletin that you can take home. You don't have to wake up a single day of Lent and say, well, what should I do? There's a guide there. there. If that doesn't work for you, there are many, many, many really good spiritual guides available for free online. Google Catholic Daily Prayer Guide Lent, and you will have all sorts of resources. To me, the Sundays of Lent in the prayer and the readings of the church 
are particularly encouraging to people who are living this season. And I would say that on this Sunday, there's a great gift of why should I live Lent this week. So see if you follow this. Last Sunday, we heard from Genesis 9 about the covenant that God offered our Jewish ancestors through Noah, to be sure we're all on the same page. These covenants in the Old Testament are historical moments in which God, for real, enters into the lives of our Jewish ancestors, the fallen world, the sinful world, and God offers more of God's self through these covenants. The covenants are agreements. The beauty of these covenants is they come completely from God, so there are no shadows. They're only good for people. The terms of the covenant, what God says God will do, and what God invites people to freely choose to do, are only good because they only come from God. The terms of the covenants on the human end are completely achievable. It's not as if Tim and I enter into a human agreement, maybe I'll be able to meet what I've agreed to, maybe not, because that's a human agreement. With the covenant, whatever God asks of people, even if it's challenging, if people actually enter into it, these terms will be achieved through God's grace. So today, we hear about the great covenant that God offers to Abraham, whom faithful Jewish and Christian people call our father in faith. You may remember this. In the scripture, there's a man named Abram, who's married to a woman named Sarah. They are older, and they are unable to have children. They have had no children. God enters into Abraham, Abram's life. He ends up changing their names to Abraham and Sarah, and calls Abraham to leave his homeland and his father's house and to travel to a new land called Canaan. God offers a covenant here. On God's end, God promises through this covenant that he will give Abraham and his descendants the land of Canaan. He promises Abraham through this covenant that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars of the sky, as the grains of sand on the seashore, innumerable. And to make this happen, God promises that Sarah will miraculously be able to have a child for all these descendants to come into the world. She is old, she cannot have children. Through this covenant, God offers her fertility. On Abraham's end, God's terms are faith. Abraham can do whatever he wants with his life. If he's going to accept this covenant, he must follow what God commands him to do. That's what faith is. God coming into my life and my responding by doing what God commands me to do. It's a relationship with God. He can do whatever he wants, but if he enters into this covenant, his end is he must choose to live faith. So, Abraham enters into the covenant. Doesn't make it easy. It's often very challenging. That whole leaving everything and going to a new land and everything that comes with it. Abraham along the way has all sorts of questions, all sorts of challenges in his life, but he pursues them in God. He really is a man of faith. He lives the covenant. So the passage we just heard from Genesis 22 is several years into this when God renews the covenant with Abraham. 
So here's what God does. God has already fulfilled one of those promises of the covenant. A child has been born to Abraham and Sarah. The child's name is Isaac. At this point, Isaac is probably a teenager. In this renewal of the covenant, covenant, what God asks, commands Abraham to do is to sacrifice his own only beloved son, Isaac. God commands him to take Isaac and kill him. Now, if you have a teenager, you may be saying, hey, sign me up. This is, it's crazy. Why would God possibly do that? Think about this. If in your mind, do this when you go home, imagine, I know you guys want to sign up, I can tell, but actually imagine you like your kid right now. Your mind, your heart, your soul, God has asked you to sacrifice your own beloved son. What could possibly be going just through his head, Abraham's head? Does he think that God is a monster? He doesn't. I'm positive about this. Abraham completely knows that God loves him, that God only cares about him, that God only brings him good. It would be easy to think, oh, God's a monster. Absolutely not. Why would God, who only loves me, ask me to sacrifice my own beloved son? You may remember from our, the Feast of the Holy Family earlier this liturgical year, the author of the letter to the Hebrews and the New Testament speculates that Abraham is thinking somehow God will raise up Isaac from the dead. Could be. Might there be something else going through Abraham's head? Could be. Maybe nothing is going through his head. I don't know. What I know is that Abraham is so in love with God, and he is such a man of faith that he says yes to this. Abraham is no foolish idiot. If you were foolish or an idiot, this would not be here. If you were foolish and an idiot, he would never do it. The only reason he agrees to this is because he so loves God. God has so penetrated his life with his love that in return, Abraham is willing to give God his son, his questions, his feelings, his all of it. He's willing to trust God and to put himself in God's hands, and he actually goes to do it. He says yes to faith. He says yes to doing what God commands him to do. When Abraham makes the choice to sacrifice his son, in the story, God immediately intervenes through a messenger. God says, don't, paraphrasing, don't touch Isaac. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Don't do anything to Isaac. Isaac is completely safe. Isaac has always been completely safe. God does not want him in any way, shape, or form to sacrifice Isaac. So what is going on? God speaks through the messenger, and it's both the messenger speaking for God and God's voice in the scripture. God says, I now know that you are so devoted to me, God, since you have not withheld from me your own beloved son. What has come from this bizarre experience is God has drawn forth from Abraham such devotion, such love, that Abraham actually does not withhold from God his own beloved son, Isaac. Stay with me here. God renews the covenant. 
Abraham and Sarah and Isaac move on. They receive all these blessings that God has promised through the covenant. That's part of why you and I are here. So, if I were a faithful Jewish person 2,000 years ago, or if I were a faithful Jewish person today, and I heard that story, and yes, I get the love that's been drawn forth from Abraham, I would say, what is going on in that story? It still doesn't make sense to me. Why would God do that? We know that God would never have any human father or mother ever do any harm to a child. God would never, ever, 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 ever do that. So if you're signing up, there is no list to sign up on. God would never do it. Why in the world would God do that? I am very confident the answer to that question is God did that for you and for me and for the entire planet. No Jewish person any time in history can really understand that passage. The only people who can are Christians. It's only, that's set probably 2,000 years before Christ. It is only when Jesus, the Son of God, comes to this planet, when he brings salvation to this planet, that anyone can understand that passage. We just heard in the gospel passage from Mark 9, Jesus brings some of his first disciples up a mountain. He's told them recently that he is going to be killed. He brings them up a mountain, and they're given this astonishing gift of the transfiguration. They see the full glory of who Jesus actually is, his eternal divine glory. They see him, they see Old Testament figures appear with him. He's the fulfillment of our Jewish heritage. And they hear God the Father speak to them, saying, this is my beloved Son. The fact is that in the fullness of time, God's eternal beloved Son became a human being for you personally, not just generically for the world or generally for the world. The eternal Son of God came to this world and became a human being to free you personally from the sin of this world and your own sin. The only way that you can find God and I can find God on this planet, the only way that we can live in God now and eternally is because God's only son became a human being and gave his entire life in order to bring us salvation. He entered into the sin of this world. He entered into death itself to free you and me from sin and death. God had no desire for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac in any way, shape, or form. What God brought forth through that bizarre experience is what turns out to be the love of God for you. So I can say, paraphrasing that scripture, I know that God is so devoted to you that he did not withhold his own beloved son from death to save you. God so loves you that God did not withhold his own begotten beloved son from death to save you. 
So why am I going to live Lent this week? Because I know that God is so devoted to me that he has not withheld his own beloved son from death for me, to save me. I want to cut out my sin. I want to be a much more faithful follower of God, of Jesus. God offers me and you in Jesus the final new eternal covenant. Here is salvation. His name is Jesus Christ. And what he asks from us on the other end of the covenant is everything. He gives his son's entire life, and he asks me for my entire life. Why live Lent this week? That's why. You have been listening to Father Paul O'Brien, pastor of St. Patrick Parish in Lawrence, Massachusetts. For more information about the parish and to get involved, please go to stpatrickparish.com or follow us on social media. Thank you for listening.